0: welcome to the shakeout podcast i'm your host kate van buskirk each week canadian running staff writer maddie kelly and i bring you the news results and drama from the exciting world of running this is the rundown Well, welcome everyone to another edition of The Rundown. We are so excited. We've just been joined by so many awesome guest hosts uh, in 2021 so far. And today we're keeping that theme going. We've got two exciting folks joining us today, Brett Montrose and Natalia Hawthorne of Streamline Athletes. Um, These two are part of a company, Streamline Athletes, which is the only online recruiting platform specifically focused on track and field and cross country. So they work to connect prospective student-athletes with post-secondary programs across North America. Brett is the co-founder and CEO of Streamline Athletes, and Natalia has recently come on as the partnership coordinator. And of course, we've talked about Natalia quite a bit on this show as well, because she is a multiple-time Team Canada member who really had a a pretty breakthrough uh, 2019 and 2020 season. So we're so glad and grateful that you've both decided to join us. Welcome, Natalia and Brett.
1: Thanks, Kate. we I know if, if I speak for Natalia too, we're both really, really excited to be here. Um, Natalia is a listener of the podcast and has been hyping me up for the last week or so. So thanks for having us. And I'm excited to meet Maddie and, and get to know you guys a little bit better too.
0: Awesome. This is actually the first time on the rundown for sure that we've had two guests on at one time. So it's just our family is just growing bigger and bigger. And we're so glad that you're both part of that. So maybe we'll start right off the bat. Um, Natalia, how is training going for you during COVID?
2: Yeah, training's going well in BC. Uh, we are still under restriction, but we're lucky to be able to meet in very small groups. So that has been uh, amazing the past few weeks to be back with even two or three teammates for those harder sessions. Uh, this past week, we actually had a great week of sunshine. So that was very fun. And just continuing to, yeah, work on building that base, progressing a little bit more intensity and hopefully be ready for some race opportunities that come in the coming weeks or months, I should say.
0: And could you give us a little taste about what that might look like in terms of racing coming up?
2: Yes. So in the next coming weeks, um, the one possible race that looking forward to is on February 13th. Uh, We're looking to do another 10K time trial um, on the roads that might turn into an official race, fingers crossed. Uh, and looking at potentially having Melindy Elmore uh, race as well as Jen Lalonde. Uh, but we'll just see. As we know, in COVID, nothing is concrete. So just always rolling with the punches.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, that'll be fun. I mean, it, everyone can relate to what it's like just to have something on the calendar to work towards in this period where we've had so little (laughs) to sort of keep us going. So that's so exciting. We'll definitely obviously follow those results on both the ShakeOut podcast and through Canadian Running Magazine online. Brett, how about you? How have you been handling this last crazy year of the pandemic, both athletically and personally?
1: Well, athletically, I'm not much of an athlete anymore. So I finished my collegiate career in 2014 and haven't competed since then other than a couple half marathons that I tried for fun. But personally, it's been a trying year for our company, for sure. I think going into the pandemic in March, we had somewhere in the neighborhood of 12 employees, and I think we've doubled in size since then, um, and we've we've managed to, to make things happen. The interesting part was that the, the pandemic started right at the same time as we were trying to, to make some relationships with college track and field programs, and as that happened, we were dealing with a lot of questions with what was the budget going to look like? What's what's next year's recruiting going to look like? And uh, yeah, it's it's definitely been an interesting year, but um, we've been pretty successful. We were able to bring Natalia in this year and we're still alive. So things are good.
0: Yeah, that's I think that counts for a lot right now. Just saying, I mean, the fact that you've doubled your your staff and been able to continue growing is so impressive. I think a lot of people are just trying to keep their heads above water. So kudos to you guys for, for that success for sure. Um and Brett, I definitely wanna, you know, I have so many questions about Streamline and it's it's an exciting company. I wanna learn more about it. But quickly we should bring my co host Maddie Kelly in and I'll just ask Maddie, how is your Sunday going today?
3: My Sunday is going very, very well so far. It's a pretty, pretty typical Sunday of, you know, AM exercise, PM podcast. Uh, That's how
0: we like to do it.
3: Yeah, a, a nap somewhere in there. Uh, but yeah, I'm super excited. Natalia and I raced each other when we were in high school and continued to post collegiately. We were in two different university systems, but in the summer we would race. So fun to, you know, fun to have an old, an old teammate on the pod and nice to meet Brett.
0: Yeah, a little reunion here. I love it. That's sort of how we've been keeping in touch with folks throughout COVID is I I kind of joke continually that I'm seeing, you know, former teammates or runner friends more through this than I probably would have any other way with with the pandemic. But hopefully we're looking forward to a time, hopefully very soon, where the three of us gals can be back on the track and in a. In a meet together proper. So, lots to look forward to there. But let's jump right into Streamline Athletes um, and learn a bit more, Brett, from you. I mean, you're the co founder and CEO. This is really your baby um, and something that you're obviously quite passionate about. Maybe you could take us back and give us an introduction to the company and what the inspiration was for creating this platform.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So Alex, Alex Alperé, who's my my business partner, is a French-speaking Quebecer who I met during my undergrad days at Simon Fraser University when we were both on the track and field team there. Um, and currently, he is yeah co-founder, co-CEO with me, and and we tend to do everything in, in tandem because we we complement each other quite well. We met and had the chance to to get along with so many different teammates and hear so many stories about how people had ended up on our roster throughout. four or five years at university and then uh, post-collegiately I moved into uh, the recruitment space where I was working in education and trying to help teachers find jobs all over the world and I saw the way that a technology platform could help people make decisions about where they go uh, get informed and open up the scope of their opportunities and for me I, I wanted to apply that to athletics at the same time, Alex was supporting uh, athletes and the track and field program at SFU and actually had built quite a recruiting pipeline from Quebec to the university. So uh, we realized that there was potentially a problem and potentially a solution to uh, track and field recruiting. And before we knew that we wanted to make it a, a business or we realized that there was um, a, a market for this, we did a lot of research. So we talked to over 100 Coaches at different universities, both in Canada and the United States, U Sports, NCAA, anyone that we could, anyone that we could have thirty minutes on the phone with, and then we talked to a lot of different uh, student athletes as well, both current and former, just to learn about their journeys, what kind of things that they were considering. And after some thorough market research, we realized that there was a pretty big problem and a and a gap in the space where there were a lot of athletes who didn't have all the information that they. Could have had when they made the decision about where to go to school and it didn't necessarily mean that they had a bad time at college or university but it meant that they weren't quite as confident as they could have been in that decision and that there was probably some more information out there that they could have had when they when they made that choice we also realized that coaches were doing things in in a way that didn't seem the most efficient a lot of time and resources were being spent on on recruiting you know texting back and forth with uh a kid who may not actually have any interest in coming to your school. So uh, we got to work. And at a certain point, we decided that this wasn't going to be a a recruiting agency. It needed to be a data-driven technology platform. And we got to work building that in 2018 and launched some software for athletes in 2019. And yeah, things are really rolling now.
0: That's awesome. There's so much to get into there. Um, Brett, maybe you could go back and I'll ask this actually to to each of us. I'd love if everyone could give a little bit of background on where they went to university and what sort of helped make that decision for you. Because we all come from, I know Brett, you said you don't really have as much of an athletic um, aspect to your life currently, let's say, but you were you know, a high level university athlete and high school athlete. So maybe we'll start with you, Brett. How did you make the decision that you did about where you went?
1: Yeah, I grew up on Vancouver Island. I was fortunate to break my wrist in in, uh, grade 11, which ended my hockey playing career and had me focusing on running. And at that point in time, I realized that track and field was definitely what I wanted to do at the collegiate level. And then being a West coaster and I was training with a group out of UVic, I I didn't want to leave BC. So I only took a look at uh, Simon Fraser, UBC, and uh, UVic, Uh, visited all three and had a chance to meet all of them. And then ultimately uh, made the decision to go to SFU. Um, And that was based on the academic programs there, the training environment that I saw, the potential to have a scholarship there, which wasn't available at the other two universities, their sprints program, because I was a 400 meter runner at the time. And there was a little bit of a murmur of potentially that school moving into the NCAA, which ended up happening during my undergrad there. So um, that was really the extent of it for me. But I think the lesson that I take away from that now when I look at it is that there's a lot of programs that are probably very similar to what I did take a look at um, in the United States and in Canada. And I didn't realize that they were there at the time. So I happened to have a a really good experience, both academically and athletically uh, while I was at school. Um, But I I didn't take a look at the other 1700 programs that were available. I just took a look at the three that were in my backyard and um, I happened to have a, a great experience.
0: Yeah, I think that. Uh, and sorry, what year were you? What year did you start university?
1: So I graduated high school in two thousand nine, and I started uh, university that that same year. So two thousand September two thousand nine was my first semester at at SFU.
0: So I, I I would kind of venture to say that probably a lot of particularly Canadians can probably relate to that in terms of like especially the pre two thousand and ten sort of recruiting class um, that I think because I, I started university in 2006 and it was kind of um, I have some similarities and some differences to what you just said but I think a lot of people are you know they know what they know they, they're comfortable and familiar with the you know the schools around them and uh, that probably is a big part of what fuels a lot of people's decisions about where they end up. Um, Natalia where did you go to school and what did that process look like for you? Yeah so I grew up as you know in
2: Ontario small town in Bracebridge and this is where Kate and I are past actually overlap a little bit as well because we were both closely connected um, with Hugh Cameron. So he was my coach uh, from grade six all the way uh, to grade 12 and still stay in touch today. Um, But he was a very big part of my decision decision, um, recruitment process there. So I was quite successful early on in high school and then went through my roller coaster um, of injuries but it was always uh, you know in the plans to compete at the collegiate level at university so at first there's the debate do I want to go to the states like a lot of my um, current teammates in the New Market Huskies were doing or do I want to stay in Canada and Hugh was a very a uh, good mentor for me to, you know, weigh the pros and cons of where do I want to compete. And at the end of the day, I made the decision that um, I wanted to stay in Canada. So just in my country, have opportunities to potentially um, compete at university games and just have, uh, you know, good outdoor season each year, not having to extend that um, or be fatigued. So I was looking at McMaster, Windsor, uh, UBC, and SFU, I believe were my top four. And again, it was all about those relationships I had. Um, and I had two teammates who actually went to the University of British Columbia, um, Mike Bourgeois and Misha. So they're great internal sources to hear about their uh experiences. And they also had a very strong uh, mid-distance uh, distance women's team. Um, Maria Bernard was actually a teammate at UBC. So it was a lot similar um, to, I think, Brett and Kate, your story of just having those mentors in my life uh, to make that decision. And coming today, I'm really happy with the experience I had. And I think that has a lot to do just I'm happy where I am today and fortunate to still be training with my university coach, Chris Johnson, as well. But I do think having, you know, streamlined athletes to have all that information on all the programs would have been really beneficial and then could have used, you know, my coach to help me really narrow down, you know, out of those top five, where do I want to go?
0: That's awesome. It's great to hear that you both had such positive experiences, um, you know, both athletically and, and academically at your schools. And, you know, Natalia, that speaks volumes that you're still training with your collegiate coach, because obviously that, you know, that really... Um, exemplifies the importance of that relationship and how much of a long-term connection you've had now. Uh, Maddie, you know, our listeners know that you went to U of T. Can you tell us about what went into that decision for you?
3: Uh, So I, U of T wasn't even on my radar, actually. My decision was going to be between UVic and Guelph. And then at Offsa of Cross Country 2012, I had a terrible race, my worst ever Offsa of Cross Country finish, and Terry, the he was at that point the incoming coach at U of T, he wasn't actually a varsity coach yet, but Terry came over to me and we just uh, uh, had a very brief conversation. I was crying because I was upset about my race results and I wasn't very friendly, and my mom told me after that I had been rude and I needed to email that man and apologize, And so I did. And then I went for a trip to U of T and I just, it just clicked. Like I just thought that I got along so easily with the girls. Toronto was super exciting to me. Um, yeah, Terry and I had a very easy relationship from day one. Like Natalia, he's still my coach now. It's been like, he started coaching me in grade 12. So it's been like almost nine years. And then I Ended up uh, not calling back. Well for you, Vic, and I, I went to U of T, and it worked out. But had he not walked up to me that day, U of T wasn't even wasn't even on the radar. So I'm happy he did.
0: Yeah, no kidding. Talk about serendipitous. <laughs> Um, and just quickly, my background, I'm I guess the only one who didn't stay in Canada of our little group chatting today. I ended up going to Duke University in North Carolina and had an incredible athletic experience there as well. Um, but, as we'll get into, and this is something I chatted with Brett and Natalia about earlier, I was very fortunate that I had both parents and club and high school coaches who helped me to navigate the recruiting process and the NCAA system very well. And I, you know, just anecdotally, I know there are many, many other athletes um, sort of of my year I started university in 2006 and then you know even sort of more currently there are many athletes who end up at schools and are quite unhappy with their decision end up coming home or transferring um, for a variety of reasons but I can appreciate the importance of a platform like Streamline Athletes because there certainly was nothing like that when I was being recruited and um, obviously you guys started two years ago it's it's a pretty modern concept so Brett what do you think you know you talked about some of the inspiration behind creating the company Do you think you? think how how might your experience or your selection of school perhaps differed had you had access to something like Streamlight and athletes at the time?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, it's impossible to tell exactly what might have happened uh, because scenario A is that I could have made the decision to be at the exact same school that I went to, but I wouldn't have had the question mark in the back of my mind a- in. the the dog days of January in my second year when I'm wondering, you know, I'm I'm in the right place. I'm training every single day. This is really tough and I haven't PR'd here. So maybe I could have made the decision to be somewhere else where the academics were a little bit easier and the coach really understood me better. All the questions that you might have as a a 19 or 20 year old. So I could have made that same decision, ended up at the same university and just done so with a little bit more confidence. Um, Scenario B is that, um, I could have been introduced to a coach uh, at an institution where there was an athletic and an academic program that was perfectly suited for me, uh, maybe a better scholarship opportunity and a chance to live somewhere that I didn't even consider or realize was on the map. So I think the answer to that question is is really, I don't know. And, and that's the beauty of it. I'm lucky or I'm fortunate that I was able to forge a path and, and get a degree and, and have the chance to compete collegiately. Um, but there's a lot of kids who don't have that opportunity. And that's kind of the reason behind, behind this is that, you know, um, there's over a million kids competing in cross country and track and field. When we look at Canada and the United States, 7% of those kids currently pursue the sport to the collegiate level. And I think that right now we look at all these rosters and there's coaches who don't have completely full rosters don't use all their scholarship money every year so we could really bump that up to 12 or even 15 percent of high schoolers moving on to the university level and i think that's really the big difference that we're trying to make is just more kids seeing opportunities and more high schoolers making the decision to pursue the sport because maybe they didn't realize it the four of us here obviously had um, fantastic experiences but there's a lot of people who don't do it the same way and that's probably the reason that they're not here having this conversation with us one thing that I'm really curious about, and this is kind of a, a brief segue, is a question for Maddie. I know that you mentioned you were looking at um, Uvic and Guelph right before before being introduced to U of T. Why were your why was your scope uh, already Canadian at that point in time?
3: So I was not a standout high schooler. I was, I was good, but I was like making, you know, finals by the skin of my teeth and PBing to get there and then, uh, running very slowly when I did get to that final. So, and I was super undertrained. I, you know, my like long run in high school was 20 minutes. Um, so it was kind of the combination of those two things. I knew that American programs tended to be higher mileage and expect kids to be a little less green when they were coming in and I knew I was very green. And I just also wasn't receiving the scholarship offers that was gonna make the states make sense for me. I was, you know, uh University of is it Louisville? That's where Matt Hughes and Maddie Davidson went, question mark? Yes. So yeah, that was the only school that offered me um a scholarship in the NC in Division One. And they offered me three quarters, but I just uh, I knew that the academic side was going to be super important to me. And I was just more confident in the, um, academic rigor of the university of Toronto, um, in what I was looking to do. So it's not that the NCAA wasn't part of my search. I wrote my SATs. I applied, actually, I I applied to Columbia as well and had a meeting with the coach, but I, I wasn't eligible for financial aid. Um, but also like that would have been like a, you know, $150,000 $150,000 commitment from my parents to send me to Columbia as a Canadian, so I didn't really feel prepared to do that. So there's a lot of reasons, but more than anything, it came down to money, and I wasn't being offered the kind of money that was going to take me to the States.
1: Cool. Thanks for answering that. And Kate, sorry for uh, hijacking your
0: no, interview there. not at all. No, no, no. That's This is what I want, and the, you know those are important questions. And maybe a question for both of you, um, you know, there are a lot of I think for any parents listening or or high school athletes, there are a lot of uh, resources, a lot more resources out there now, certainly just with the rise of the use of technology and social media than there were certainly when I think any of us and especially I was going to um, try to make that decision about where to go to school what you know we right off the top we mentioned that your platform is different from others in that it is track and field and cross country specific so i want to talk about that as well what benefit is there to it being specific to our sport and what else about streamline separates you all from other recruiting platforms
1: yeah natalia maybe jump in if i if i miss anything and you can fill in the cracks here but i'll lay some lay some foundational bricks uh, the sport specificity so focusing just on track and field and cross country allows us to collect and understand our athletes in a meaningful way so for example if we look at a a 16 17 year old girl who's running 800s and 1500s a competitor of ours or or another company might look at that athlete the same way that we look at a a linebacker or a a football quarterback um how tall are you how much do you weigh? Do you want to talk to the coach at the school? But if we're able to focus on what we know a track and field coach at the university level means, so or needs, we'd be looking at how fast can you run two laps? What are your academics? And can we verify those performances? So being sports specific allows us to drive really meaningful data and understand what the coaches need to recruit and, and collect that from the athletes. It also allows us to flip the traditional revenue model which tends to charge the athletes like an agency so that the athletes or the parents are paying you know, anywhere between 500 and $5,000 if they're coming from overseas to have some support in their recruiting process. But with us, if we're sports specific and we can work with the athletes and collect that, that data on uh, who they are and what they do, the coaches on the other side of the recruiting journey are w- the ones willing to pay for it. So our recruiting model is able to be the other way too. Now, with that being said, I guess it's a good time to mention that that Streamline Athletes always has been completely free of charge for the athletes. We can help these kids get from high school to university, uh, point A, all the way to you know sitting in the lecture hall on their first day of classes for free of charge. Um, and we've got paying university clients on the other side who are willing to work with us because they understand that we've been through the recruiting journey. They're speaking to uh, people on our staff who've who've dealt with this and we're building software that's committed to solving their problem so they don't speak to the agencies uh where the athletes were if an athlete is paying an agency to get recruited chances are the coach isn't going to be talking to that agent um but the coaches are really willing to talk to us because they know that we we've been through that experience and, and we're really trying to solve that problem um they get a chance to talk to someone like natalia or uh, one of our business development representatives who i know was on this podcast uh, recently is ben flanagan and it's just a uh, it's just a track and field community now and we're, we're trying to build some tech around it for the first time. So I, th- I think that's probably what separates us from a lot of the competitors, just the, the sports specificity, the, um, the fact that we could be totally free for athletes. And, um, and the third one I think that's big is, is that we are a Canadian company. So we're the only platform that, in addition to all the American programs that are out there, we service the Canadian schools as well. So we can compare for the first time the U of T and a U sports offering to division two or division three and find out, you know, maybe the academics at, at U of T are, are going to be the, the the game changer for somebody versus, you know, going to uh, division three and studying something that's not quite as relevant for them. Yeah. Natalia, anything I'm I'm really missing there?
2: Uh, Brett, no, I think you um, covered a lot of it. And I just want to say that just being track and field specific, it's really enjoyable that, you know, we're all part of this passionate team being, uh you know, track and field athletes ourselves and can really relate to that community we're working with, um, being athletes and why we really do have an athlete first mentality, um, looking out for the athletes and allowing them to use our platform, um, you know, virtually for free to have, open the doors to opportunities to just add on to what we were talking about before. I think all of us, we've been really fortunate to have these connections in our life or mentors to direct us to these opportunities we've had. But like Brett mentioned, only 7% of student athletes really make it to that level. So we actually aren't able to include that missing percent um, who didn't have those connections, who Streamline Athletes, I think, will really help connect them to opportunities that are open um, to today. And that kind of leads me into also something really exciting I want to share with you all at Streamline Athletes um, is our ambassador program that we're launching um, uh, in the coming days right now. Um, We find younger athletes, you know, they often look up to athletes who are at the pinnacle of their careers. So whether that's Olympians, record holders, I'm sure we can all relate to that. Um, But we don't really know their journeys, how they got there. And often high schoolers, you know, they believe they need an NCAA Division One scholarship experience um, to really get there. And that really results in, you know, missed opportunities, um, scholarships, uh, etc. there. So with Our ambassador program, we really want to highlight and share their recruitment journeys to show that there's not just, you know, one path um, to get there. And the right path isn't um, the same for everybody. So, uh, you know, we've spoken with a lot of athletes um, as we've been creating this ambassador program. And we've found people who have gone to, you know, junior colleges before going to university um, people who have transferred to different universities um, and those who have stayed in Canada as well. So uh, we really want to, as a Canadian company, first and foremost, highlight our Canadian athletes here So in Canada. So our ambassador program um, in 2021, this year, we're excited. We have Andre de Grasse joining us. We have Alicia Newman, Aaron Brown, um, Sage Watson, Justin Knight, and as... Brett mentioned, um, Ben Flanagan, who also works with Streamline Athletes, is joining us as well. So over the next few months, we'll be sharing their different recruitment experiences, their different uh, paths to turning pro, uh, and much, much more. So just want to let everybody know, stay tuned to hear those inspiring
0: stories and journeys.
1: That was a really organic ambassador program plug. Natalia, well done. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, And and talk about a who's who of like Canadian track and field in terms of who's on your ambassador roster. That's awesome.
3: And actually, so when you mentioned the path to turning pro, do you guys talk to athletes like when they're looking to make their decision about the kind of visibility that the NCAA gives you? Like, is that something that you talk with high schoolers about? Because- That is absolutely something that I missed and I loved my experience in Canada, but it's something I'm coming up with now as someone who doesn't have an agent and never competed in the States. And I will just not be let into certain heats because I'm a no-name from Canada. And when it comes to professional running, there is just more opportunity in the States. So is that something that you address with kids who are thinking that that would be the trajectory that they're running would go. They're looking to continue after undergrad.
1: This is a a really, really good question, Maddie, and one that uh, we've been thinking about for a few years now. Um, So to answer it, yes, it's something that um, we would have a conversation about. I think that it's an inherent advantage of of going uh, Division I versus the other opportunities that are available and something that any athlete should consider. Um, from a technology or software perspective, building that actually into the athlete journey is something that we would like to do over time. So right now we're super committed and and hyper focused on how we can support the journey from high school to university. So facilitating that that signing between coach and athlete and, and getting those kids to school. Over time, what we would like to do is make sure that once maddie signs at the u of t we can continue to engage with her and track her performances as she grows as an athlete and then perhaps there's an opportunity now that um, even if you didn't choose to go to the ncaa there are professional clubs or teams who are looking at the athletes in our database the same way that the collegiate programs are looking at the high schoolers so that not only do we keep the the streamline athletes application sticky for the high schoolers as they become university athletes but we start to offer value now to um, the professional clubs who are looking to find the best the best up-and-coming athletes so we see a lot of potential for um, for that to happen and to and to do things on the pro side and we're not quite there yet so this is just a little bit of insight on where we could go over the next little while but we've got our first kind of Batches of athletes now moving into their universities, and and we'll continue to keep in touch with them and see how their careers go. And chances are that over the next four years, we'll start to see that someone who ran a really good two hundred meter in Ontario and happened to you know move all the way up to the four or the eight hundred over their collegiate career could be a little diamond in the rough for uh, a Puma or a Nike or a Reebok who's looking to recruit. So we can start to work with those those. Uh, those companies the same way that we work with the colleges right now.
3: Guys, chef's kiss. We need it in Canada. I think that's that's amazing.
2: I think so. And to add on to what Brett said, really just elevating sport in Canada, right? And we've seen how U Sports has strengthened the program. There's more excitement around that. And I think just seeing the success that I know you both know very well, Gabriella Stafford too, having gone through the Canadian system, Um, And And Melissa Bishop. And Melissa Bishop, exactly. Yes, there are several on the list today, um, which we're proud of. So uh, highlighting those athletes and also with Streamline Athletes, it's the first platform to actually include Canadian universities. So even, you know, strengthening our universities in Canada and even pulling some of those athletes um, and developing them here in our very own country. Love it. Love it.
0: Yeah, kudos, guys. This is this is great. And um, one one last question I had for you before maybe we move on to uh, to the rundown proper is I know that you mentioned, Natalia, that you've brought on some of these superstars for your ambassador program is the expectation there that that will grow and that there will be a little bit more sort of like peer to peer communication about you know some of that more maybe anecdotal stuff because it sounds like you said Brett you're you both of you and um I guess the company in general has been so data driven really your your main goal right now is to make sure that you're getting people exposure connecting folks with the right universities but I think that piece of having the athletes who have lived it themselves be able to share their experiences the good the bad and the otherwise is so crucial so I know for instance you have a blog on your website is that kind of the goal there is to get some more of that like person to person, peer to peer relationship building going? Definitely. Yeah, um,
2: go go ahead, Natalia. Yes, I was just gonna say, definitely with our ambassador program, um, one of our big goal the goals is to connect the that younger generation, um, with our elite Canadian athletes. So getting that conversation going and learn that it wasn't you know a linear journey, mm-hmm. uh, for any one of them. So understanding that on a personal level and just integrating more and more of those personal experiences, and I think it really goes to show these athletes too, um, you know their their want to connect with that younger generation and share those stories because they're so busy and there's not always that opportunity, especially today during COVID to, you know, go to those meets to have that interaction um, with those student athletes, have those conversations.
1: Yeah, I think the idea behind the ambassador program is really to help us really engage with the, the younger audience and inspire those athletes to realize that there might be a journey that's there for them. When we look at someone like Andre DeGrasse, and then this is a story that I'm particularly excited to share, is that he actually went to Coffeyville, which was a um, NJCAA junior college, and then he had to transfer to get to USC, where he ended up winning uh, national titles in Division One, and then he signed with with Puma. And this all came after you know starting sprinting in basketball shorts and no spikes on when he was in grade eleven. And I think that there's a ton of kids out there who are like that in in Canada and in the United States who have have a ton of talent and just don't realize that this is a sport that could be for them. Um, you can run really fast in a straight line, and you can you can really make something out of that if you if you put the pieces together. But unfortunately, there's so many so many student athletes who. You know, maybe they're just students, not even athletes yet, who don't realize that opportunity. And, and I think the ambassador program should really help us share these stories and get that out there. And I think the other piece is, is we want this to be completely objective. So we're never working with the athletes and telling them where to go to school. We're never acting as an agent and trying to convince college to sign athlete or athlete to go to certain university. Um, but when we have these stories that we can share, it can really augment all the data that we have. So if I'm, you know, clicking through the software and realizing that I really want to go somewhere that has an indoor track, and I want to study archaeology, and I think Georgia is the state for me, I could read this story or listen to this podcast that tells tells me that I can consider all of these other things, or I could think about it this way, or at the end of the day, just be inspired to actually do it um, and take that leap. There's so much that can come from uh, a collegiate track and field experience. And a lot of that is not collegiate track and field. It's the people that you meet. It's the uh, place that you live. It's the the community that you have a chance to be exposed to, all the relationships that you build while you're there. And it can, it can change your life completely. So, I mean, the number one goal for us is to try and increase the number of kids who go to university. And the next one would be hoping that more and more of these people can continue with the sport post-collegiately. But for anyone who doesn't continue post-collegiately, hopefully they have uh, a better life, and a better career professionally and personally, because the fact that they did that to begin with. So hopefully that answers your question, Kate. I know that I kind of rambled on a little bit, but
0: no, no, th- I mean, that is, in itself is like Maddie said, it's so inspiring and so needed. And so we're we're really thrilled that you both and, and the whole company is providing this, uh, this resource for hopefully what will become, you know, just a healthier, happier, more successful generation of, of young athletes in our sport. I think it's, it's long overdue. And, and we're really glad that you've dedicated so much of yourselves to this. So thank you for that. It's awesome. And we will definitely include links to your website and your social accounts in our show notes and on the write-up on uh, Canadian Running website. So yes, stay, stay tuned for those announcements, listeners, um, about the Ambassador Program and all of the exciting new elements that Streamline Athletes will be putting out in the coming weeks and months. But I think we should get into uh, our rundown proper and some of the news from the week. Are you guys cool with that? Of course. Looking forward to hearing it. All right, so our first piece of news in the rundown is actually a very fresh piece of news just from yesterday. So yesterday, um, Hoka Oneone sponsored the Project Carbon X2, which was an attempt at the 100 kilometer world record. This took place in Phoenix, Arizona. It was nine laps of an approximately 11 kilometer course, and there were a bunch of standout ultra athletes that competed. Most all of them Hoka athletes, Maddie. Were they all Hoka?
3: Yes, they were all Hoka athletes. I believe this was part of the launch of their new shoe.
0: That's right. Yes. Um hence the the name Project Carbon X2, I believe. Exactly. But, right. So all Hoka athletes, a number of Hoka pacers as well. And I would say that far and away, the top result from this project was that excellent athlete, but poor Jim Walmsley ran the second fastest ever 100-kilometer time in history, but he in doing so, he missed the world record by, I think it was 11 seconds, Maddie.
3: And that's for context, 341 kilometers for 100 consecutive kilometers.
0: Right. So moving, no, you know, moving. And, 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 you know, like what, like a 20th of a second per kilometer or something he missed it by. So uh-huh. the course or the world record was six Oh nine 14 and Jim ran six Oh nine 25. I watched, uh, parts of the, of the race and especially the last, you know, 400 meters of it. And it became unfortunately obvious that he was just going to miss it. But this dude gave everything he had to get across that finish line. Really tough situation to be in. Obviously shattered the American record, came closer than anyone ever has to that world record, but to miss it by that much. Maddie, you and I have both, well, natal- I think probably all four of us have missed, you know, standards, personal best records, whatever it may be by like heartbreaking, you know, milliseconds. And I think this is like the equivalent of missing something by like a hundredth of a second in a mid distance event.
3: Oh, yeah. But it's even worse because like if we miss a time in a mid D event, you can sign up two days later and try again. Like your body will let you do that. But with a hundred K,
0: not the case. Right. Yeah. A little tougher to come back from that. <laughs> So just a quick overview. This, again, it was an attempt at these uh, at these world records. Um, there were, I believe, 12 men and six women that started. The standout name on the women's side was, of course, Camille Heron, who unfortunately did not finish. The winner of the women's race was Audrey Tanguy from France. And uh, this was just sort of another example of folks getting really creative during the age of COVID to put on the safest event possible. All athletes had to have two negative COVID tests before arriving. And then another upon arrival, there were frequent temperature checks, mask mandates, physical distancing. They all started with masks on the line. You know, I think they were doing the best they could. Um, But kudos to to all the race organizers to put this on. Great job by the athletes. I just, you know, obviously we all wish that Jim could have uh, gotten away with that world record. But one thing I did want to mention that kind of ties into our conversation with Brett and Natalia is that it was really neat for me to see one of my former Duke teammates, Ashley Brasavin, who has gone on. She was um, a standout in high school. She was a a U.S. Foot Locker champion, I believe, three times, one of the top recruits in her year out of Florida, and then really struggled in university um, with a combination of femoral stress fractures and eating disorders and um, almost quit the sport, and now has gone on to become, you know, a, a really top level U.S. ultra trail and and uh, road runner. And she was pacing um, one of the women on the in the elite race, and she did a great interview during this race after she was done her pacing duties, where she credits our coach at Duke, Kevin Germain, for his long term approach to the sport. And she really said that that contributed to her longevity and why she's still running after all of this um, adversity that she's overcome. So I just feel like that ties in really well about, um, you know, that that aspect of the recruiting process and making sure that you have connections with athletes who are currently in the program and with the coach around what their philosophy is going to look like. Is that sort of a, a big consideration when you're chatting or making that connection between coaches and and prospective athletes?
1: I love that so much. What was your teammate's name again? Ashley?
0: Yeah. Ashley Brasovan.
1: Awesome. Well, congratulations to her. That's one of my favorite stories. I love hearing when people can often they move up in distance post collegiately or um, even if they have a a tougher time in high school and and figure it out during university. But hearing that puts a smile on my face every time when people can overcome adversity and and come back from really difficult careers like that. And especially on the women's side, I think we see that so often with um, 18 19 20 year olds when they move away from home and you're dealing with things that are so adverse for the first time um, to be able to you know come back and, and pace a, a race like this and and Look back at college and actually see it in a positive way is I think really really awesome something that we talk to parents and athletes about a lot of the time is that Long-term commitment from the coaches and and athlete development over time. I think in Canada, we don't see it as often when we're committing to schools like Simon Fraser and the University of Toronto, because there's in Canada, such an inherent focus on developing athletes long term. I mean, the whole U sports and CIS backbone is to just have this indoor season so that when outdoor season rolls around, we can go and win, um, 800 meter national championships. Right. So in the States, we, they don't look at it the same way. It's, it's about having a million athletes in high school that we can throw into this system and we're going to crunch them and we're going to see who turns out to be the, the top athlete. And the thing is, there's so much talent down there that that they can do that and the cream really will rise to the top. But sometimes, sometimes you'll find a, a coach or a program where the staff are being paid quite a bit of money and the focus is on winning a championship And there's nothing wrong with that. The athlete just needs to know that going into that program that they're going to be part of a a system that's meant to win championships versus one that's meant to have you competing at uh, the world championships 10 years after you sign that that initial entry scholarship. So uh, one thing that we mentioned to athletes, you know, if, if your long term development is really important to you and you want to keep running after after college, just ask the coach during recruitment, do you have a house here? How invested are you? Like, Are you going to lose your job if if we don't make conference this year or win conference this year? And coaches will be pretty open about that. They'll let you know, like, you know what, our focus over the next five years is going to be to win an NCAA championship while you're here in this program. A lot of athletes love that, and that's what they want to do. Um, Others want to have a really close one-to-one relationship with the coach, and you can discover that. You just need to be able to ask those questions and have the confidence to ask it. And we find the biggest missing point is is that athletes don't know they, they can have that conversation. They feel like it's taboo to ask a coach those those types of things, and, and they'd rather just go for the visit and make their decision with, with mom and dad afterwards. So uh, we encourage them to ask all the questions, find out what the real goals of the program are, and, and that can help you find the right fit.
0: Totally. That is so, I, I'm so glad that you said it that way, Brett, because having gone through that recruiting process myself, and again, I'm... I feel fortunate that I had, you know, very um, committed high school coaches and parents who were willing to sort of ask those hard questions on my behalf, but it's intimidating. Like you're going on some of these official visits or even having phone calls with some of these top collegiate coaches. And it's, it's already an intimidating sort of overwhelming process, or it can be, if you're kind of doing it on your own. And I remember listening to my dad ask my Uh, the the coaches who are recruiting me asking each of them is your salary directly dependent on how well the team does from year to year and I sort of like shriveled into myself and cringed when I'm listening to my dad ask that question but I'm so glad he did because we got really interesting answers from various coaches and programs and not that like any one of these factors is going to determine how dedicated a coach is to the long-term development of an athlete for instance but I think Brett, you're so right that that is um, that's great that you guys are helping facilitate some of those tough conversations or at least encourage athletes to feel empowered to ask those because they can give you sometimes all the information you need about um, about what decision to make. That's great. Yeah.
1: And 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 with that being said, by no means am I knocking um, the Division One opportunities. I think that it's no secret that the NCAA Division One turns out the best track and field athletes in the world year after year. Um, the athletes who win the championships at, at the D1 level often go on to win Olympic gold medals shortly, shortly after. But it, just taking a look at D2, D3, NAIA, maybe a junior college first to up your academics and then take the time to transfer. And then taking a look at, at U sports in, in Canada is really interesting. Um, yesterday, I had a, or two days ago, I had a conversation with, uh, with Sarah Inglis, who's a Canadian athlete who came over from Scotland. And she only had Canada as an option because she'd already done her undergrad. And I think that's another thing uh, is is people don't realize that you can you can have an undergraduate degree and then still compete until you're 25 in, in the NCAA, and you can still uh, compete and win championships in in Canada against some younger athletes. So, like collegiate doesn't mean that you need to come right out of high school and do this. It's just it's it's an incredible opportunity, and a lot of people don't know that they can look at it. So. Hearing Sarah's story was, was really cool for me, too, because I hadn't heard you know someone coming from Scotland and having the journey that, that she's had. It was really cool.
0: Speaking of standouts in the NCAA, there is some fantastic NCAA indoor news from this past week, and we will start. Maddie, do you want to cover a ting mo?
3: Yes, I do. So she's a beautiful stride, and she's an American freshman at Texas A&M. She broke the American NCAA record for the 600 meter running a 125.80, which was three quarters of a second off of the record set in 1981. So this is a 40 year old mark. And this isn't even her PB actually, because two years ago as a 16 year old, she set the American record running a 123.57 at the 2019 USA
0: indoor championships.
3: She beat Aji Wilson. If I remember correctly.
0: And Raven Rogers, who I think looked kind of dumbfounded at what had just happened to her.
3: And, you know, Raven and Aji. International medalists. But yeah, this girl, this girl is legit. And honestly when you see her run she crosses the finish line and she kind of goes oh my gosh me like I think there is this like high school confidence if you have no idea how good you actually are so you just show up and you go and you don't even know she doesn't know who she's competing against either she would wear she had this jersey with a frog on it like she's and she wore like pixie buns the cutest thing ever and she's just so freaking talented And I think she just runs with a complete abandon because she's not even aware of how good she is. She probably is now because she's a multiple time record holder. Um, But when she was 16, she had no clue how good she was going to be at running.
0: Absolutely. Ating wasn't the only sort of young NCAA superstar to have an amazing performance. Brett, do you want to take us to our second NCAA result of the last week?
1: Yeah, I'd love to. I think one of the things that COVID took away from us last year was the inaugural season for uh, for Matt Bowling, who is an incredible athlete. And I can't think of the last time where we had someone who was entering collegiate track and field and had so many eyes on them already. Um, the only other person that's the same age as him that I can think of would be like um, Brianna Williams, but she's not even, even, even taking the university route. So Matt goes into school last year and we don't get to see him compete because COVID happens at the same time. Um, and I think that's what's so interesting about him is that we could have an honest argument about what his best event is between the 100, the 200, the 60, the 400 and long jump, which to me is just crazy. Um, but he opened up his, his indoor season yesterday with a 45, 400 indoor. And it's playing on my other monitor right now. And it's just going on loop. And he has incredible speed being a sub 10 sprinter in high school, but this power that can maintain the entire race. And I think that we have a, a really special career that we're going to get to follow, uh, watching, watching him sprint. And, uh, I mean, there's a chance that we see a 19 a year old or a 20 year old make the Olympic team, which would be crazy. I just don't know which event it would be in. Did you guys have a chance to watch that race or,
0: I haven't yet, but you know what? This is reminding me of standout Offsa, who he won the 100, 200, and 400. Miles Meisner Daily. So this is sort of reminding me of a Miles Meisner Daily situation, um, having just that range. Like, and again, for our for our marathon listeners who might think, "Oh, 100, 200, 400, they're all short distances." The 400, and you can speak probably to this more, Brett, but the 400 for someone who's like a 60 meter, 100 meter specialist is is the equivalent of a marathon. So that is quite an impressive range.
3: Well, when you think about it percentage wise too, like if the 100 meter takes you 11 or 12 seconds, and then the 400 takes you 45, that's an enormously different percentage of seconds you're spending on the track. (laughs) Right.
1: What's so interesting about the, the 400 meter is that you need to have that one, two speed. Absolutely. But you also need to be able to kick into another system that supports you through uh, the second half of the race. And when you can find those sprinters who are able to find that gear and, and not, not die from it at the end of the race, it's incredible. Um, when we look at someone like uh, Wade Van Niekirk who's, who's able to go a sub 10 in the hundred um, sub 20 in the 200 I think, under 31 in the, in the 300 and the world record holder in the 400. Um, we're really seeing a prime example of how speed is so important in, in the 400. Um, but it's it's a special type of athlete who has that kind of backup system there to, to support them. Um, and I'm glad that you mentioned Miles. Um, I'll, I'll give a plug to my own blog. I actually wrote an article a couple months ago. It was last summer about the top 10 offset performances ever. And I took a look at all of the Ontario high school performances that had happened over forever. And I ended up reading way too much about that kid because he's just a phenomenal talent. So, um, if anyone's interested or listening from Ontario, this article is actually, I mean, it's my own. I wrote it. So I'm, I'm hyping myself up, but there's some cool performances. Um, Andrew Heaney's, uh, 148, 800 in high school. Um, Michael Ponickbar's 224 high jump and then I had Miles uh, at number 2 with his forty five seven four hundred 400 in high school and then um my number 1 ranked one was uh Greg Anderson's 8 flat 3k yeah. in high school which is crazy.
0: So awesome. That's uh, an, that's a yeah. great list Brett. Yeah, well, we'll you'll have to send that to me and we'll link that in the show notes as well too because I think that's a that's that's a fun run rundown in itself right there. Um It's got
1: the women's side too, so it's not just it's not just the men.
0: Sweet. And I'll actually take this as a quick opportunity to plug our upcoming um, episode with Lynn Kanuka, who was the 1500 meter Canadian record holder for over 30 years and still holds the 10k road record in Canada. And so speaking sort of to the longer distance equivalent of that, like needing the speed of the 100, but also needing the endurance of the four. It's sort of a real, um, a real example of that as well. I think at one point, she held everything from the 1000 meter Canadian record to the 10k on the road. So yeah, th- these ranges are, are not that uncommon. Moving on to our third piece of news, which sort of goes back to that uh, conversation about long-term development. On Tuesday, the New Zealand 1500-meter record holder and two-time Olympian, Mr. Nick Willis, a real stud and, you know, again, long-term success story in our sport, ran a 358 mile, making this his 19th straight year that he has broken the four-minute mark in the mile. Just for some context, Nick is 37 years old. And like I said, he's been, you know, around the block a million times, Commonwealth Games, World Championships, multiple Olympics. And uh, we have a great article up on our website right now that kind of equates all the different things that 19, what, what it means for someone to run that fast for 19 straight years. So we'll link that in the show notes as well. But kudos to uh, Nick Willis, because that longevity gives, as a 33 year old, gives me a lot of hope for sure.
3: Our next piece of news comes from Las Vegas, where Molly Sedel ran a 109.20 half marathon for a new PB, and this was her first race with her new sponsor, Puma, in the new Puma Deviate, which is Puma's first ever crack at a marathon racing carbon-plated shoe. So Puma, longtime sprinting company, sponsors Andre DeGrasse and famously Usain Bolt, is now transitioning to the roads, And I actually have gotten to try this shoe. It's killer. 10 out of 10. And Molly's results are also an endorsement that works well. So that's exciting from her and a really nice way to start off what will hopefully be her first Olympic year.
0: Puma is really extending that roster of more distance runners. Maddie, who else has joined their roster recently? There's a few other top athletes. Aisha is the other big name. Right. Aisha Prattlier. Yeah. And she's got a cool story because
3: Puma is the sponsor of the Jamaican national team and she chose to run for Jamaica. So she's already had an existing relationship with that company. And part of her mandate has been to, uh, you know, show her home country that Jamaicans can be distance runners too because it is such a sprinting focused team. So I think that's I think that's really cool. And I'm looking forward to seeing what Aisha does with them.
0: Absolutely. Well, moving on to our final. Well, I guess it's not really a piece of news, more of an an ongoing conversation. This is the um, fact that the Times recently reported, what was it, Maddie, Wednesday of last week, maybe Thursday, that they had some inside information that the Olympics were not going to happen. They had some definitive proof from someone high up within the local organizing committee in Tokyo that there was no way that the Olympics were going to happen as planned, and that they were now looking for a way to save face and see if they could possibly put it in a bid for the next available games which will be, I believe, the 2032 Olympics. So, of course, that freaked out our entire community pretty quickly. And uh, apparently, you know, everyone from the IOC CEO to Sebastian Coe to a number of the other IOC members jumped on the story quickly to refute a lot of these statements saying that, nope, it's all systems go. We're doing everything we can to continue putting on the Olympics in a safe and secure way. But, um, just adding to the, uh, the controversy and the uncertainty of this year, that uh, is apparently a continuation of 2020, because 2021 hasn't changed a whole lot. But um, we're, of course, very hopeful that those games will continue. And if they are able to do so, um, that they'll be as safe and secure as possible. Maddie, how are you feeling about this development?
3: I think if you are someone with Olympic aspirations and you haven't rejigged your focus a little bit for this year, um, you're missing the writing on the wall. I personally have decided to set a time goal for myself this year. That time goal remains to be Olympic standard, but I think, I don't know if that will result in an Olympics because either they may not happen or Canada may opt to not send a team. I see boycott as a possibility. Um, it kind of breaks my heart to say that, but I think that like with everything COVID, you have to stay flexible and realize that, you know, what you had planned may not go to plan and that this thing is bigger than track and field. So I don't think there's no chance there's an Olympics, but I do, I can't say with any sort of confidence that it'll happen or that Canada will decide to go. So, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a bummer, but I just think, you know, If we're we're looking at seven months from now, bringing that many people from all around the world to one place to, you know, heavy breathe on each other. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it seems realistic.
0: Yeah. Well, like you said, flexibility and adaptability are the name of the game. And that's certainly true for anyone um, in the elite track and field sphere. Natalia, I know that you know you have your own high level goals for this year as well. And I'm sure you've been doing all of these adaptive sort of creative things, like you said, putting on sort of time trials or, or really small mini meets um, to try to keep the passion and the, the focus alive. But for all of our listeners, regardless of the level or event that you're competing at, we hope that everyone continues to remain safe and healthy and um, really keeps the that positivity and good focus going and set some, some short-term goals that can feel good and, and achievable for you. I think that's probably the best any of us can ask for. And maybe on that note, before we wrap up, guys, um, Natalia and Brett, what are you most looking forward to? It can be big or small, anything that's coming up in the next few weeks that you're uh, that you're excited or feeling positive about.
2: I think I've already touched on it, but I'm looking forward to this time trial we have in the works February 13th. Um, I'm sure Kate, Maddie feel the same way when you just have something, some goal on your calendar to look forward to, um, being able to show all the work we're putting in, um, just see what results you can produce. So, looking forward to that in the coming weeks.
0: Absolutely. And like I said, best of luck to you and any of the other athletes that compete and we'll be sure to follow the results and make sure that our listeners and our audience are well aware of how that all goes for you. But best of luck, Natalia. And we can't wait to see you on the track again soon.
2: Thank you so much. Yes. Excited to be uh, all back together with you two as well.
0: Yeah. And Brett, how about you? What do you have coming up that you're excited about?
1: I think we've touched on it as well, but I'm I'm so, so stoked to combine my what we're doing with Streamline Athletes and my track and field fanboy and this ambassador program—I can't wait to ask Andre Degrasse or 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 Sage Watson about what their experience was getting to college and kind of find out the the details that you know maybe haven't been published before and uh, use that to inspire the next generation of track and field athletes to to pursue the sport at the at the collegiate level. So yeah, I can't wait to make that announcement and just get a chance to meet and and talk to all these people. So really excited.
0: Awesome. And like I said, we'll be following that development as well. And we'll link everything that we've mentioned today in the show notes to this episode. Thank you both for joining us. This has been so great. We're uh, we're thrilled that you were able to take the time all the way from BC to chat with us here in Ontario. And we'll look forward to uh, chatting again soon, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having us.
0: Super.
3: Sorry, Maddie, go ahead. I was just super 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 cool what you guys are doing cuz I was uh deer in the woods when I was <laughs> picking a school to go to. So it's it's very very needed especially in Canada.
2: Well, thank you so much guys. It was a pleasure to connect.
0: Well, again, um, we were joined this week for the rundown by Brett Montrose and Natalia Hawthorne of Streamline Athletes. You can learn more at StreamlineAthletes.com. And as always, for the rundown, I'm Kate. And I'm Maddie. And we'll chat with you again soon. Just before we let you go, we wanted to mention one last piece of news that had not yet happened at our time of recording, and that is that Canadian Olympian Andrea Sakafian ran 31.45 in the 10,000 metre at the Australian National Championships, just missing out on the Tokyo Olympic standard, but moving into the third all-time position in Canada. Congrats, Andrea.